and welcome to Linux Action News, our weekly take on Linux and the open source world. This is episode 19, recorded on September 17th, 2017. I'm Chris. And I'm Joe. Hello, Joe. It's good to be with you, but nobody cares about that because it's GNOME release week. Version 3.26 has been released. It has, and the headline for me is marginal improvements. Nothing show-stopping, no amazing developments. It's just kind of polishing and making everything that little bit better. Is that fair to say? Maybe from the outside. As a GNOME user, there's quite a few things in here that I think are pretty great. And it's also just after their 20th birthday, which is pretty great. The first new thing that I'm looking forward to is the new settings application, which has a new navigation sidebar. Everything's listed on the side, clear, easy to read, good color contrast, so it's quick to scan through it. Wi-Fi right at the top, which is a frequent thing that I need to get access to. And in the browser area, they've added synchronizing with Firefox Sync like we talked about recently. So that's built in now too. That settings panel, looking at it, it just feels like, why was it not like that before? That's just how it should be. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's something similar to what the Plasma desktop's working on. And I, I make an old man joke here when I say this, but it honestly reminds me a lot of Mac OS System 6's control panel, where you had just a clear, easy black and white icons on the left-hand side. You clicked mouse or keyboard, and then the respective settings showed up on the right-hand pane. And it works, so why not use it? There's a few other things that... GNOME users will appreciate. There's now some nice smooth animations for maximizing and unmaximizing windows and snapping. They're actually really done well, and elementary OS users are familiar with sort of those nice perks. And this is the first release where the GNOME project is recommending Wayland over X11 because they got a new fancy display setting screen where you can independently control DPI and, and resolution settings for different monitors. I think that might have been from some of the work with our friends at Canonical recently. And that's baked in, but it only works with Wayland, so they call it a preview mode right now. Well, you mentioned Canonical there. This is going to be the release that's in Ubuntu 17.10, so it's pretty important to them. Yeah, and the crew over at Canonical celebrated Will Cook and Popey brought a laptop cake to the release party with GNOME on the display. That's You have to go check out Twitter for this. It's it's really well done to sort of say, hey guys, you know, we're, we're happy to celebrate this with you. And I'm really glad this is the version that's landing in 1710 because as a pro desktop, boxes, the front end to uh, emulation or uh, virtualization, that it has added a really nice feature now where you can share folders between virtual machines uh, and your computer. So you can create one folder in like your home directory, and then your virtual machines get, get, can get access to that folder in your home directory between them. That's going to be really nice, a big feature for boxes that I've been waiting for for a long time. And just to make things easier in GNOME software, updates are now going to be grouped by type to provide more accurate progress information when being installed. So we have core updates, feature updates, things like that. Similar features have now been added to logs. It's grouping similar messages together. And Terminal now makes it easier to work with hyperlinks. So a lot of small little features that pro users of the GNOME desktop will really appreciate in GNOME 3.26. One public service announcement. This is critical to all you GNOME users, I know. Tweak Tool has been renamed to just Tweaks. You have been warned. <laughs> And all joking aside, there is one more big PSA with this release of GNOME. There are no longer status icons in the bottom left. That little annoying tabby things that held your Skype icon or your Dropbox or Telegram icons, gone. And the only way you're getting those suckers back is by using a third-party extension like Top Icons. 
Yeah, that to me is a mistake, I think, because, okay, some of them can be annoying, but some of them can be really useful as well. I have one right now for Mumble that is really useful. So I would definitely be installing that extension if I was a GNOME user. Yep, and I think a lot of the distributions that ship GNOME out of the box will just start shipping that extension now, and we'll see different ways of implementing that. Some will do it as a package, some will do it as an extension from extensions.gnome.org. It's going to be a hit and miss on that implementation. It might be a bumpy ride, so that's why Plasma fans might be happy with recent discussions going on between the Plasma camp, guys over at KDE and gals over at KDE, and the Purism camp. Yeah, we reported on this recently, didn't we? The Librem 5 from Purism, which is their phone that's going to run GNU slash Linux. And in all the mock-ups, I would say screenshots, but they're just mock-ups, aren't they, at this stage? It's been GNOME. And that's what they use on their Pure OS, so it would make logical sense. But hang on a second, that's going to take a hell of a lot of development to make work. And so Matthias Klump, one of the Pure OS developers, got in touch with the KDE team via the mailing list back at the end of August to discuss the possibility of getting Plasma Mobile working on this, or at least some components of Plasma Mobile. And now it looks like that is going to happen. So you're going to actually have a choice between KDE Plasma or GNOME. That's at least the plan as it stands now, uh, this week, shall we say. Maybe the most interesting thing about this development is reading the mailing list posts that Joe found and we'll have linked in the show notes because it shows sort of some real interesting insights into the Librem 5 project. And it's it's from an engineer developer's perspective. So it's it's just raw information. And I actually found that more compelling. It made, Just reading that mailing post made me want to back the Librem 5 more than anything written on their actual fundraiser page. So what I took away from reading those discussions is this truly is what you and I were saying would be great which is a open source phone hardware platform that could run basically anything that you could get installed on it and pure os which is the De- which is a debian derivative would have a gnome option or a plasma option and it looks like based on these conversations the plasma mobile stuff that they've been working on for a while now is a little bit further along and would integrate better with the whole matrix solution that the librem 5 would end up using because that matrix solution is a catch all it solves web browsing, email, messaging, calendar, and phone calls, they don't have a huge demand on the phone UI. And when looking at the different options, it appears the Plasma stuff is further along. And it's not just you and I who are thinking this. The folks over at the KDE community have a quote here in the announcement. They say, having full access to Purism's hardware platform is a dream for the KDE community. Partnering with Purism allows us to integrate Plasma Mobile seamlessly with a commercial device for the first time. The Librem 5 will make Plasma Mobile shine the way it deserves. It's very positive. Okay, well, let me be positive for a bit and then characteristically negative afterwards. So it's definitely a good thing that they're hooking up with Plasma. Plasma Mobile, for me, is a great mobile OS. It's got such great potential. It's got the the groundwork done by their own admission. It's not ready for mainstream consumer use. And I I like the modesty of that. I like them being realistic about it and saying there's a lot to do on it. But as you say, it's further along than GNOME, so I think it is a brilliant choice for them to to go that route. However, this strikes me as disorganized. Why did they launch saying it was going to be GNOME and now 
they're saying it's going to be KDE and probably Graham as well. And it just seems like they haven't really got it together properly. There's no specs for this phone. It's all just up in the air. It's kind of just like, well, give us a bunch of money and we'll just trust us. We'll make something good. And a lot of people have backed this. And since the KDE announcement, a lot more money has come in and it's looking like it might maybe happen now. But it just, do you see what I mean about it being a bit all over the place? I do. What I took away from the discussion in those mailing lists was we think we've got the underlying base OS because of the hardware platform we've chosen, because of the features that are now built into the Linux kernel, and because of our pure OS Debian-based derivative. We think we've got that piece really nailed down. So we know we can boot a Linux-based OS on this thing. We're pretty solid on that. But what we don't have really nailed down is how you're going to tap on this thing to launch the stuff you need, what that UI looks like, how we present that if we build our own. And I would say... That is a particularly hard nut to crack. So I could totally see where you're coming from. That should be something they have figured out. The devil's advocate position I'll, I'll take in this is you can only fund so much research and time and, and development into that initiative until you've been funded. So it's, it's because it's such a challenge, it's hard to really justify spending the money on fixing it until you have an indication that things are going to go that direction. Does that make, am I making any sense? Like, I'm trying to come up with their position, and I, I, I'm, I'm probably missing some point, but I guess that would be my, my positive sort of devil's advocate response, because mostly I agree with you, Joe. Well, yeah, that all makes sense, what you said, but they could have had these discussions with KDE before they launched the um, crowdfunder and had more of a firm plan. I, I don't know, it just, I really want it to succeed, I really do, but... I just wish they were a bit more organized with it. And hopefully now that is happening. And hopefully we're going to get mm-hmm. a choice of GNOME or KDE, which uh, would make most people happy. Uh, but I'm telling you, I'd still try and install XFCE on it just for the lols. Well, then maybe Manjaro has just the answer for you, Joe. Yeah, the new Manjaro laptop, which has been announced in association with Station X, which is quite a small company based in the UK doing a similar thing to what Entroware does, except that they, instead of focusing on a narrow range of Linux distros, they basically support them all. And now they're going to have a version of their Spitfire, which is basically the same machine as the Apollo from Entroware or the Galago Pro from System76, only it's going to be a Manjaro edition with a cool Manjaro logo laser etched into the back of it. And some tweaks to Manjaro as well. So it's not going to be just standard Manjaro. There's kind of kernel tweaks and um, firmware stuff to make it work well with the battery and CPU and everything. So it's very good news for Manjaro. They've got some hardware out there now. Yeah, this really seems to be the new thing. On a totally different scale, this reminds me of the box sets it used to be able to get for different distributions. Like I used to get a SUSE box set and a Mandrake box set and a Red Hat that was just six, seven discs of stuff. And it was like an $80 purchase, but I, after every major release, I get that big box. Now you order a laptop, and this thing's not bad. I mean, it's called the Spitfire. I like that name. It's got a 7th generation KB Lake i7, 32 gigs of RAM, and a bunch of different SSD and hard drive options. Pre-orders will begin on October 13th, and they think they'll probably start shipping the machines by the end of October. These are Clevo-based machines with the modifications like Joe mentioned. I'm not huge into the derivative versions landing on these laptops. One of the things I like about Entroware's implementations is pretty straight implementation. I like that a lot. Uh, I 
not totally jazzed by the idea of this thing running a slightly different kernel than main Manjaro, but I'd have to take a look at it first before I made any real judgments on that. Well, it is going to be supported by the Manjaro team, and so you can just do updates as you would normally, and everything should be fine. So at least they haven't just butchered a version of it on their own. At least they've been working with the distro to make sure it's all good. But Listening to you talk about this on Linux Unplugged recently, I heard you dissing Manjaro. I know you're a kind of hardcore uh, Antergos arch guy, but you don't like Manjaro by the sounds of things. Is it just because it's XFCE or is it because of the updates as well? I think XFCE is just the icing on the Manjaro cake, Joe. I just love that that aspect of it so much. Um, But I um, I think Manjaro is a great idea. And I just don't really like the policy of delaying updates for quote-unquote testing. I think that is potentially um, hazardous because, and I know they say this isn't the case, but there's a potential for sometimes security updates to be included as bug fixes and for those to be withheld just for quote-unquote testing. Now, if you have a, say you have a distribution of Manjaro size, say they have less than 50,000 users, say they have a, or even less than 500,000 users, there's only a few maybe 10,000 people that are running on the testing version. And then between that 10,000 user base, there's even a smaller subset that are using the same packages and versions that you are on the same spin that you are. And so there's actually really no real-world testing that happens there. This isn't Debian. This isn't Red Hat. So to me, it feels more like stability theater than actual arch with safety bumpers. Um, But it works for people, and the defaults are nice, the desktop configurations are nice, the performance optimizations are very nice. Manjaro was one of the first places to do some of those things. So I like all of those things about Manjaro. I just wish there was an option when I logged in to check a box and just switch all of my repositories to Arch and have everything still work. Then I think I'd probably be in the sweet spot with Manjaro. Yeah, I don't mind that today. I disagree to some extent. I think that there is enough testing of it Albeit it's not a lot of testing, but I think you only need a little bit to to justify the delay because it's only a slight delay as well. And as you say, proper security patches get pushed straight away. So it is really just bug fixes. And I know, okay, sometimes bug fixes can be security fixes as well. So I can see where you're coming from, but I have a real soft spot for Manjaro because I've installed Arch. It's a huge pain. And Turgos, I've just had bad experiences with. I can't even remember why. And I've always enjoyed using Manjaro when I've used it and having a really nice XFCE setup with Numix icons. And it just, everything looks nice to me when I've used it. So it's kind of my backup if I ever want to go down that rolling route and, and have a nice XFCE desktop. So yeah, I just felt a bit slighted here and you dissed my beloved Manjaro. <laughs> well, I'm glad you're here to defend them because I, I think they do deserve some defense. Um, I, I, would, I would conclude my, my other problem with the separate software repos is it's a separate set of infrastructure to manage, which they have had some accidents a couple of times in the past. It's a different area of their expertise that's going to always be stressed and won't be the primary focus for them. And it's something that's particularly harder for a small team to pull off. The infrastructure around it, the security around it, just reauthorizing your SSL certs. If they were using mainline Arch repositories, this would be something that the distribution didn't even have to worry about, didn't have to focus. And they could spend the rest of their time and resources on making that desktop even better. But 
I'm glad it works, and uh, maybe one day I'll give it another spin. I did try it for a while, and I was impressed, and it functionally worked great for me. Last.ting.com, las.ting.com. It's a smarter way to do mobile. The average Ting bill is just $23 per phone because it's $6 for a line and then just your minutes, your messages, and your megabytes. I got an unbelievable story in Discord in the hair care channel, if you want to go check it for yourself, from a listener who signed up for Ting. And Hurricane Irma came in, knocked out their internet. They switched on their Ting device, just tapped the hotspot mode, because it's just it's in there. Ting, if you want to use it as, as a data device, go ahead. They turned it on, and they ended up with an $80 bill. It's the, their largest Ting bill they've ever got, because they used a lot of data. They were, there was a primary connection. And uh, they emailed Ting and explained what happened. And Ting knocked it down to, I think it was 60 bucks or 20 bucks. They took a huge chunk out, because they're a great company. And they, they've been around for a while now, because it's two cows that owns them. And they've built a, a company around, around really doing mobile in a different way. They don't have to worry about building the antennas. Instead, they worry about building a great system around it with an easy-to-use dashboard, simple-to-understand plans, GSM and CDMA networks. You can bring your own device, $6 for the baseline, minutes, messages, megabytes, whatever you use, whatever features you want, it's there. It's nationwide coverage with no contracts. Go to last.ting.com. That's last.ting.com. Okay, let's talk about Blueborn. Dun, dun, dun. The big vulnerability of basically all Bluetooth devices, including Android and Linux, that was announced this week with a cool logo and everything and cool website. This looks like a really big deal, but somehow I'm not that worried about it. Yeah, as Linux users, we might be in the best position. As always, Android users are in the worst position, and Apple users are not affected at all. And here's the really fun part. The attack does not require that your device be paired, does not have to even be discoverable. It just requires, at the time, that you have an active Bluetooth connection. So if you connect to a car stereo or a headphone or a speaker, it will take over that connection, essentially. It can do man-in-the-middle attacks, and in some situations, depending on the vulnerability, it can execute remote code, mostly on Android devices. Yeah, which is actually the only worrying bit to me because Linux, I barely use Bluetooth, if at all, so I'm not worried about that. But Android, okay, so I'm using Lineage and I haven't quite got the update yet. I'm expecting that in a couple of days, so that should be fine. But my smartwatch my Sony SmartWatch 3, which is never getting another update, that's vulnerable. Mm. And is that going to let people get into my phone? Maybe. Is your SmartWatch Bluetooth or is it Bluetooth LE? Bluetooth LE connections are not vulnerable to this attack. No, it's not LE as far as I know. So I am basically screwed. Yeah, that means you're you're probably vulnerable to all four CVEs on Android, which do result in information leaks, man-in-the-middle attacks, and remote code execution. Google Pixels are getting the patches already. Google has notified OEMs and provided code upstream. But of course, it's up to every ODM and OEM to patch. Linux 3.3 and later are affected by this. And any Linux system using BlueZ is also affected by this vulnerability. All those vendors, supposedly, vendors being dis distribution maintainers in this case, have been notified as well. I've always pronounced it as Blues. I don't know. It's one of those things that you don't really say much. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Blue Zed. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
But the reality is there are going to be millions, if not billions, of Android devices out there that are not going to get patched against this for a long, long time. So are we going to start seeing this get exploited on a major scale? It looks like it's quite straightforward to do, so maybe. Yeah, add this to the list of millions and millions of different types of attacks that are out there on unpatched devices. But um, this just seems to be the new world we live in, because we've got Bluetooth in everything, from toaster ovens to every watch and smartphone sold these days, and cameras. So it's... That ship has sailed, Joe. That ship has sailed. What we need is public code for all of the things. Yeah, especially if public money is being spent on that. And so the FSFE, the Free Software Foundation Europe, have launched Public Money, Public Code, which is a website and a campaign with a nice video which explains in quite a clunky way, I think, but never mind, how if you're going to spend public money on code being written, then it damn well should be released under an open source license. And this is something I've been talking about for years, and we all have, surely, because it just it's outrageous that they spend public money on code and software that's proprietary and that we can't all benefit from. Yeah. In the big picture, it locks government into contracts where vendors can exploit them, and that exploitation results in lots of public funds. There is an obvious counter-argument to this, and that counter-argument would be national security secrets secret patented code that has to be used for certain things. But government is so much more than just national security. You have local government. Here in the United States, we have the National Park Services and state governments that could all use this, wildlife agencies. There's no reason that this couldn't be widely adopted wherever applicable. There's 7,218 signatures right now on this open letter. I also take pause in trying to force any technological decision via legislation. It seems like if open source is competitively better, it would eventually just take over in government. And to that point, at FOSDEM 2017, there was a talk about the gaining momentum of open source in government, which is a good talk if you want to go look it up. It's audio. So it does seem to be already picking up some momentum. In this case, because it is public money, I do think that stuff, whenever possible, should be open. And whatever can't be open, there needs to be some sort of documented reason why and explain what the functionality is. Yeah, if it's kind of weapon systems or whatever, then that kind of makes sense. But if it's, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know, the software running a, a library or whatever, there's just no reason why that shouldn't be open. Publiccode.eu if you want to sign the open letter. Maybe you could do that in a Firefox multi-account container. Yeah, is this going to be enough to tempt you back to Firefox, Chris, I wonder? I've been using Firefox for a long time, well, forever pretty much, and I have Chrome installed generally, but I stick to Firefox, and now I've got even more reason to use it. So multi-account containers, it's quite straightforward. You set up your containers, and you can log into sites in different tabs as different identities completely, because they're totally containerized. So... For example, the Google Suite, you can log into your Gmail and your Drive and everything with one tab in one account and then a totally different account. So I might have my personal account and then I might have an account for one of the shows that I do. And so this I've tested out already is all immediately useful to me. So well done, Mozilla, for coming up with an official extension to do this. And my next question is, should it be integrated into mainline Firefox without an extension? I don't know about that. 
I don't know, is it bloat or is it useful? It's useful for me. As long as it's a, a, an extension that's kind of freely available, that's probably enough. I say yes and yes to both your questions. It is tempting me more and more, as Chrome is pissing me off more and more. And I think it should be built in. It does add bloat, but it reduces bloat on my system in another way, which is running three browsers at once, plus one browser with another window open in in incognito mode, because I'm in all kinds of accounts for the different shows all day long, plus my own personal accounts and my work accounts. So I would use the snot out of this feature, and I would probably be running less instances of Chrome and GNOME Web if I could use this. So again, I'm thinking it's time for me to take Firefox way more seriously, and I love that they're building in these advanced features. There's one major limitation. It's super obvious if you think about it. Firefox Sync is only going to work with one quote-unquote account slash container. So you can only have one Sync account. You can have multiple containers for different online accounts, but only one Firefox Sync account for the browser. That's kind of obvious. Yeah. So does this smell like a Firefox challenge? Yeah, maybe after I get back from New York, this might be the time to give it a go. Because, you know, also in the next couple of months, uh, version 57 ships with the new interface. Yeah, I think it's getting close, Joe. There might be time to jump on board. Yeah, just when I keep thinking about moving to Chrome, Mozilla pulls stuff like this and makes me think, yeah, I'll stick around for a little bit longer. Stick around just that little <laughs> bit longer. Well, we hope you guys will stick around for a little bit longer, too. Go to linuxactionnews.com slash subscribe for all the ways to get new episodes. I won't be here next week, but the show will go on. I'll be in. NYC for the Ubuntu rally. I'll be on my way to NYC by the time the first episode airs. I'll be missing two weeks. You can follow my live progress at jupiterbroadcasting.com slash rover, where I'll also post episodes from the Ubuntu rally. So all that live tracking and episodes that I publish from there, jupiterbroadcasting.com slash rover. Yeah, so stick around for a couple of guest hosts while Chris is away. And if you go to linuxactionnews.com slash contact, you'll find all the ways to get in touch with us. And you can support the network and our coverage of Linux and open source over at patreon.com slash jupitersignal. So I'll be back next Monday with our weekly take on the latest Linux and open source news. I'm at Chris LAS. I'm at Joe Rissington. Thank you for joining us, and he'll see you next week. See you later. See you later.